And uh, as we step into this new year, we want to talk about financial freedom. And we want to talk about financial freedom in a way that helps you, doesn't hurt you, that inspires you and doesn't shame you, that strengthens you and doesn't weaken you. And I, in my times of prayer and in the staff and discussion, we felt we just need to talk about finances. Believe it or not, Jesus talked about finances, God talked about finances, the prophet talked about finances and possessions over a thousand times, more than heaven and hell combined. So it means if God talked a lot about it, then why shouldn't we? And so we're gonna talk about it. And so here we have my friend, Pastor Dylan. He's got debt, loans, credit card bills. If you can feel his pain, say, oh my, oh man. Well, I asked Ruben Correa, are you in here, Ruben? Did I see you? There you are. You didn't know it, but this man who has recently been married to Jesenia, and uh, he looks even better now that he's with you, and had the privilege of doing their wedding. Some of you were there. He, he, I said, Ruben, could you do some of your like graphic stuff and thug up Pastor Dylan? He said, yeah. And so we did it. <laughs> see that? It's Pastor Dylan. You didn't know that. You were like, is that? It is. It's Pastor Dylan, Thug Life, art, artwork by Ruben Correa. Did I say it right? You gotta think I'm close. And uh, he is going to help us. Pastor Dylan is going to be the poster child for all we talk about financially here for the next few weeks because I'm always looking for a reason to pick on him. And uh, we wanna talk with you about finances in a good way. And uh, I remember hearing recently one of the great speakers on this topic in church world uh, would be... Uh, Larry Burkett, who does a ministry we do on a regular basis like uh, Grief Share and Divorce Care, we do one called uh, uh, Money Life. Uh, a new one has started, and they've been doing it forever, and I love that one because it doesn't just talk about money, it talks about God's perspective and our perspective of what it should be towards finances. But another person who's come on the scene recently has been David Ramsey, and uh, he is just definitely the guy that has helped people go after debt, helped people get control of their finances, and shown through scripture uh, how those truths come to bear. And he, when he was a young man, he was 26, he grew up, his family was in the real estate business. Within uh, a matter of several years, he was worth about a net worth of $6 million. And he overextended all of his loans. The bank that he was borrowing from said, sir, we're gonna redefine our relationship. They called in all the notes, he lost everything. And what was amazing is, is that when he was younger, he went to church, heard a message about God, heard a message about finances, and there was a man that was at this event, and he says, I got five things for you that'll help you to manage your finances. And he goes through, he goes five, and he says, there's one more. And he says, no, we got it, we're all set, there are five. And he said, no, there's one more. The sixth one that I wanted to give you at the end was this, is that all of this is worthless if God is not in his proper place in your life, and your life is not in your proper place with God. Because even if this life goes well, one day we will stand before God and give an account of everything, of everything. We are not owners, we're stewards. One of my elders, who I love very much, who actually happens to lead the grief share, Marcel said to me one day when I was here, he's like, Pastor, one day you're gonna be gone. And how you handle this church will determine whether it was good or bad. You are a steward of this church. One day I'm going to be gone. I'm going to die or somebody is going to replace me. And how I conduct what God has stewarded to me for this community will be what I'm judged on. Not only that, but my individual life and your individual life, the Bible says we will stand before God and give an account 
an account, that word that we get, accounting from, account, we'll give an account. I don't know if that's Greek or original, I'm not making an original language reference, by the way. All my friends who know Greek and Hebrew are like, wait a second, that's not the root of it. But just see, understand, it's so important we have the proper, it's not as important that we have the proper amount of money as much as we have the proper attitude towards money, what it is and what it isn't. And so as Dave Ramsey in his young years was worth $6 million, he heard a message and he invited Christ to be Lord of his life. But this is what he said. I met God going up, but I got to know him going down. How many of you could relate to those low moments in our life, that financial pressure, where we're like, oh God, please help me. When I was a kid, we were very, very poor. We lived three, uh, we lived in the basement of a third floor apartment until I was the age of 12. And then we relocated to Connecticut. And I remember there were times when we had to return canned goods because we had canned goods, we had no money and we needed meat. And my mom was really good. She preserved our dignity as kids. She said, kids, we're going to the market. And my mom would walk because you know she didn't have a car and we'd walk down to the store and we'd return that stuff. This was the day before people were poisoning things and you could actually do this stuff. But she returned it and she said, we're trading this for something better. And I'm like, lollipops. And she goes, no, no hamburger helper and so that's the poor man's steak right there and so we would I just remember that and I'm I and I used to always think like oh one day man when I have enough money I'm going to be happy I won't ever have to do this again and you know what I've come to find the older I've gotten and as I've had money and I've lost money and I've handled it well and I've handled it poorly is that at the end of the day our life doesn't consist consist of what we have and it's not what you don't have it's what you do with what you've got And so that is what I want to share with you, really, because every single one of us in this room know the pain of debt. And next week, I want to talk to you about the concept of wealth. Do you know that right now, the pastors on this staff, at least Pastor Dylan, I can speak to, I said, guys, we're opening up a retirement account for you, and you need to put money away. And Pastor Dylan said, all right. And he's putting $75 a week away. Do you know what that means, according to compounded interest, when he retires at the age of What's the new, 75 is the new 65, right? (laughs) When he retires, he will be a millionaire. Not because he made a million dollars, not because he hit it rich, but because doing what the Bible says is dripping it away little by little by little. I wish somebody told me about that. How many of you would say, I wish somebody told me about that? But it's not as important that we make sure that we tell our children about that and we tell those that we can influence around it. And here's the one thing I've learned about God. He takes care of our needs, amen? Amen. But money may not be able to buy happiness, but it definitely puts some down payments on some serious sorrows, does it not? Man, and uh, there was a guy that had his credit card stolen, and his friend said, man, aren't you going to report that? He said, no, that guy's spending less than my wife does. I'm all set. I should have reversed the gender on that, but I made some enemies. No, just kidding. What does the Bible say about finances and us getting financial freedom? The Bible says a lot. Again, he, Jesus spoke more about finances than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. Combined. Which means it's important to God. Here's the interesting thing. Wealth is not an invention of nations. It's not an invention of people. It's an invention of God. In fact, in early in Genesis, after God creates the earth, he says there was gold in, in a particular region. And he says, and the gold was there and it was good. And, and the problem is, is not wealth and finance and gold and money it's what twisted human beings do with it to get power and authority over others or when money takes power and authority over our lives or we begin to think that we can put deposits down for happiness or we can buy peace 
Do you know, when my family, my grandmother's family was in Germany, my uncle, my, uh, my great, great, great uncle and that family were all bridge makers and they decided they wanted to leave because they knew that the Reich was gonna use them to build bridges, this was World War I. Uh, but after World War I, and even in fact in World War II, people were eating bark off the trees because there was nothing to eat and they were using paper money to, to light fires because it was absolutely worthless. Do you know, we have a $3 trillion deficit as a nation and I'll tell you what, the Bible says that wealth can gain wings and walk away, nothing's for sure. Nothing's for sure. Many of us learned that on the first crash in the early 2000s, but, and, and then imagine you come into all kinds of wealth and then all of a sudden you don't have any more time and your life is, is required of you by God. Money is a tool, it's not a toy. And uh, my son is really great with starting campfires and cutting wood. And so we used to let him like build fires in the backyard and he's got a hatchet and he's got an ax and he's got all kinds of blades that would make most of you as parents freak out if your kids walked in like, hi, Ma. You know, he's got a machete we just got, all those kind of things. But the thing about my son is, is that he knows they're tools, they're not toys. He's the most responsible kid when it comes to fires and cutting wood. I trust him more than I do some of the adults I know, and he handles them well. And I think in the same way, what happens with finances and wealth and money is, is that when we mishandle it and we treat it as a toy and not a tool, and we let money use us instead of us using it, that's when people get hurt. You know, the number one cause for divorce is debt and finances. It's, it's amazing the kind of pressure that that can bring to bear, and some of us know the sting of that. And so I thought, you know what? We need a win in this area in our life. My new motto for my heart is debt-free in 2023. Takes a little bit of time, but we can do it. Before we talk about debt in focus, what does the Bible say about money? Because our attitude towards money can impact the way that we handle it and the way it handles us. How many of you have seen somebody that marries somebody and they're like, they're wonderful. And what does every dating couple say, right? We think exactly alike. No, you don't. And you'll find that out when you're living under the same roof. <laughs> and, like, and it's perfect. And, every, and then all of a sudden you come into the realities of the pressures. And, and I think sometimes with finances, we just think like, all I need is more money. And, and you know what? Money does not change your, your problems, doesn't solve your problems, it magnifies who you are. It magnifies who you are. I love it, this is actually Dave Ramsey, and I was listening to this. So he said it like this, and forgive me if this is a shocking word, I'm not, I don't think it's a bad word per se, but he said it like this, he said, if you're a jerk and you get a lot of money, you become a big jerk. He said, if you're a generous person and you come into a lot of money, you become a giant generous person. If you're a judgmental person and you come into a lot of money, you become a big judgmental person. If you're a kind and loving person and you come into a lot of finances, you become a very big kind and loving person. Money doesn't solve the problems, it magnifies who you are. And in some cases that's a good thing and in other cases in my life, in different stages in my life, it was not a good thing. And a lot of us think, well, if I just wait until, you know, all of these troubles go away, then I can be generous, then I can be, you know, all that. No, because uh, we, ask that, we ask this of every person in the, going to the mission field when we interview people as, as a board and we say, what, what are you doing now? And they'll say, well, what does that matter? And we'll say, that matters everything because what you're doing now and here is what you'll do there and then. 
And I think what God wants to do is just put some perspective into these things for our life. Give us a little bit of peace. I understand what it is like to be so over your head financially, you do not know what you're gonna do. I understand that. I understand what it's like to be poor. I understand what it is like to be in incredible debt. And there are seasons every seven to 14 years, you will get broadsided by an unexpected financial difficulty. It's gonna happen. And how we manage what we have, but also how we prepare for that moment is so critically important. And what I wanna do is, is speak into your life some truth that God has in his word. He's the authority on it to be able not to give us shame, but to reduce some of our pain. You with me on that? This is a good thing. So let's take a look at some general verses here first. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is one of the most misquoted verses in the planet. Is, is money evil? No, it's not. The love of money is what is the root of all evil. And it says, but here's the thing, I've watched more people ruin their families, ruin their legacy, ruin their ministries, ruin everything because they allowed money to take the place of God. And the Bible says right here, look at, he says, through it, this cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is it. Listen, if you think that money is going to buy you peace and purchase happiness for you, it's not. It's not. Colossians 3.5 is great too. In 6, it says, put to, uh, therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now look at this. He, he's addressing some pretty obvious sins right off the bat. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. But look at what's in there. Covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Do you know what I think the ultimate sin is? And I don't mean the ultimate, the biggest, but the biggest burn of sin is covetousness. It's that wanting that thing that you don't have and in most cases you never get it anyway. There are people that will be separated from God for all eternity because they craved something that God didn't have for their life and they never even got it and because of them pursuing that with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they lost him instead of him. Listen, in the morning when I rise, Give me Jesus. Because you can, here's the amazing thing, that it, you can have it all go away and if you have the Lord in your boat, you can sing that song with confidence like we were doing, peace be still. Peace be still, Jesus calms those storms. He wants to be there for us in those hours but we have to be careful that we don't allow money to become a God that we think that it's gonna provide our peace, our protection, our safety, or even our happiness. There's a verse in, I'm gonna skip forward to it here, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You have a little hole inside of you, you got two of them. The first one is a, is a hole intended for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered to him, if you've never said, I'm a sinner, you're a savior, you died on the cross in my place, I, I, wanna, I, I need your love, I need your grace and your forgiveness, it's a simple, easy prayer and, and it's, a, it's, it's simple and we would love to do that with you. But this is the place where I think a lot of Christians don't get this. You've got a second hole in your heart and what it's called eternity. And you were not made for the temporal, you were made for the eternal. And what we do is, is we go and we try to fill that space with stuff that will make us happy. I watch people renting Mercedes-Benz and, and, and Jaguars and it's not within their means. I've watched, 
I had a friend that him and his wife, uh, their marriage was falling out, and so she got even. She got the credit card, and then she got about six other credit cards, and she just cha 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 ching. And one day he got the bill, and they were like, you know, like forty to fifty thousand dollars of in debt at seventeen percent interest. They eventually had to claim bankruptcy. They ended up getting divorced, but. What was happening, there was lack of happiness in her life and she was trying to buy her way out of it with money that she never even had. Jesus is in the wilderness. It's a turning moment for him because he hasn't started his ministry and the devil says, if I destroy him now, I'll destroy him forever. So he takes him in there and he sees he's hungry and he says, see those stones, turn them into bread. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. And then he takes him to another spot and says, jump off the temple. And, and he says, no, don't put the Lord to your test. But then he says this, which is relevant to that, which we're talking about this morning. He says, bow down and worship me. God has given me all of these things. And if you bow down and worship me, if you exchange your eternal devotion to God for your temporal devotion in this world, I'll give it all to you. And he said, be gone from me, Satan. You know what, no no devil is coming up to you and me saying bow down and worship me or whatever, but I think subliminally every day in our American consumer culture we're being pressured to bow down to a world offering temporal happiness that will never fill the eternal hole in your soul. You can't eat enough little Debbie cakes, trust me, I've tried. Many of you have no idea what's coming your way February when the first credit card bill arrives in the mailbox. I say it because I've done it. And I love how Jesus said it, where he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I had a professor at the school that was the dean of students, Dave Munley, and and several of you would know her, Donna Joskargs, Early in her life and in her marriage, she had a fire. They lost everything. They lost the house. And what was interesting to her is is that she said, first of all, Jesus didn't burn in the fire. He was there with us. But she said, there were things that I will never get back. And I'm like, diamonds? You know, gold? Like, pictures. Things that are irreplaceable. The best things in life aren't necessarily purchased. You can't necessarily purchase them. And... uh, Paul puts it in perspective in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've always quoted this thing. It's 10 fingers for 10 words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then you gotta reach out and grab it. Philippians 4, 13. It is a life verse, but that life verse is rooted in contentment. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. And so I think it's so important that we have perspective on all of these things as we launch forward towards Pastor Dylan Gangster Financial Freedom. Just when you see him throughout service and, and through the weeks, just kind of throw him like peace signs and that'll be awesome. <laughs> First of all, what does the Bible, uh, what does the Bible, what the Bible does and does not say about debt? There are some things that it says about it, but there are some things that it doesn't say about it. Before I talk about that, let me just come back real quick, because this is very important, to the idea of this world. 
How many of you have ever been in a fight with somebody? You know, those hair-pulling fights. How many of you have ever been in a fight with you and two people? How many of you have ever been in a fight with you and three people? It was two against 10, me and my friend. That was quite an experience. It didn't go the way I thought it would. You are in a three-on-one fight every day of your life because there are three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I know that God has the devil, but I know that I can sufficiently destroy my life with the craving of my flesh so efficiently he doesn't even need to participate in my problems. But there's a third enemy there we don't give thought to, and it's this world. Jesus would not fit in 21st century American consumer culture very well. How many of you notice that all the videos online in Netflix are focusing on minimalism, you know? You don't need a house, you just need a shed, you know? You know I'm like, no, baby, I need a house, and I would like a fireplace and a field, and th- listen, there is nothing wrong. Again, money is not, the lo- it is not money that's evil, it's not wrong to have stuff or things, it is not. It is the love of those things that are what are undoing and the, the covetousness for those things, but, but in the beginning of the the 20th century in early 1900, uh, Sigmund Freud's psychology was getting momentum and his grandson came into to his prime and World War I was on the horizon. And he said to the leaders, he said, we can totally win a war without having to completely fight it. We can psychologically throw thinking into the minds of every army and every soldier that they're going to lose or that they've already lost even if they haven't because if we defeat them in their mind we will defeat them on the battlefield how many of you have ever found that some of your uh, greatest defeats happened here before they ever happened here or here it's just man the devil is the greatest psychologist and so this guy came in and they would everything you see from like leaflets falling from heaven radio broadcasts saying you know it's all over you're losing and they would lie and throw all kinds of information well after world war 1 came to an end and it was a significant Um, contribution to helping win the war, he turned and he made this comment. He said, I am fully convinced that the principles that happened with psychological warfare in World War I not only apply in times of peace, but can also be leveraged to change culture uh, in times of uh, war, but also can be leveraged in times of peace. I said that backwards, but, but he said, why not apply this in peacetime? There were some consumers at that time who'd heard that And they said, yeah, why don't we do it? And a campaign of psychological presentation happened in the American culture that said, why don't we help people not be happy with what they have, but that they'll only be happy if they get what they don't have. Every advertisement, every single commercial, every single rattle and hum in the culture, in your head, in your TV, in your, your, your radio, in your neighbor, all says the newer it is, the better it is. Do you know that that idea is only 100 years old? How many of you remember when your mom 
saw that rip in your jeans and she said we're going to put a patch on it and so then they'd put it there and you know and thank goodness like I didn't have sisters in the house because I when if we only had a, like a certain patch I would have ended up with a power puff girl on my pants thank goodness <laughs> but like but like the idea of how many of you had grandparents that they had stuff in their garage and you're like how in the world are you still using it? and they'd just be like and they'd grease it up and that thing would just and it'd start running because the newer it is the better it is now you can get a new iPhone but when you're purchasing your iPhone they will take money from you to ensure that when the next version of the iPhone is released, you can instantly upgrade to it the following year. In my house, just until recently, we were all using iPhone 4s. And my family's like, I hate this new technology. I just want that old one. It's cheaper that way. But, but think about this for a second. The culture that we're in, the system of this world, is constantly saying, don't be satisfied. Don't be content. There's some things that it's not good for us to have contentment with, but, and, and, but for the most part, like the contentment that God's talking about, he's saying this, be content with the situation with which I've placed you. Trust me. Know that I may not give you all your wants, but I will provide for all of your needs. And so having said that, let's look at some of the things that the Bible does say about debt. First of all, verse number one, the borrower is slave to the lender. That comes right out of Proverbs 22, verse seven. How many of you understand? Oh my goodness, just like that pile of rocks. That young lady is a fast runner, but the more rocks we put in there, the more it slowed down. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life where, where my pack was full and I just struggled. I couldn't get ahead. I couldn't, it was too much for me to carry. And it just built up and built up and built up. And, and when you talk about this idea, I don't want you to think about the borrower slave to the lender. Think about it from this perspective. When you are overwhelmed with debt, your freedom is no longer yours. Because you can't give your heart and your mind and your strength to things you want to do or maybe even that God would want you to do. You've got to give it to the thing that you're enslaved to. How many of you have ever been in that place where it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I hated it. I've been there. I've been overwhelmed with student debt, mortgage. In fact, the word mortgage, the, the, the etymology of that word means death grip. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I looked that up. I looked that up. And my goodness, what a chokehold. And Uncle Sam is no family member of mine either, just to add that to the whole equation there. Now, the Bible, this is really important for me to say this and important for you to hear this. The Bible does not say having debt is sin. Let me say it again. The Bible does not say having debt is sin, but it definitely praises not having it. It also, it does not say that you will never have to borrow. It's very important you hear that because we can hear a message like this and feel shame feel like a failure there are times where we have to borrow there are conditions wise conditions we should borrow under and unwise conditions we shouldn't borrow but it does not say having debt is sin it does not say you will never have to borrow but it is a better place to be in there and which takes us really to the second thing that the bible says about it is that god wants us to lend to others deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 12 says it like this you will open uh, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now understand that is not 
an imperative command for all situations, you shall not borrow. The Bible talks about borrowing in many different places, but God in this verse is trying to tell us that if you apply my principles to scripture, of scripture and, and my commands to your life, if you obey and follow and love and follow the lead of how I put finances and how they should be handled as a steward, you will reach a place in your life where you won't have to be always asking, you actually could be giving to others. And when you do this on a very high level, you know what this is called? It's called a philanthropist. I would love to be one. We lend to others. Now here's the thing, notice that it does not say that we get wealth without hard work because the Bible says right in that verse that God will bless the work of your hands. The Bible says in another spot, if a man or a woman does not work, what does it say? They do not what? If a, if a man does not work, he does not eat. Um, the, we're in the, the hard, our, we have, we're known for our, what we call the Yankee ethic up in this part of the country, right? I mean, it's a hard working ethic, but it, it, and we're like, man, in my house, I'm like, Lord, we need a miracle. And then, and then we turn around and we're like, okay, let's find some work. Sometimes God does miracles that bypass the work. You've heard my story about how I was working in, New, in, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island and needed a vehicle, had no vehicle, had 500 bucks for it, sent it away to a friend that was living in, in Teen Challenge in Brooklyn, New York, just had a daughter, gave it to them, and then all of a sudden somebody out of nowhere turns and says, we wanna give you a brand new car. What a miracle that is. And they were going to the very place I was saying, I can't stay here, I need to go to Africa, Zimbabwe, Harare. They said, we're going to Africa, Zimbabwe, Harare, and we need to leave a vehicle, and we believe what you're doing on behalf of God, and we do that. But that, that kind of stuff is the exception, it's not the norm. I've come to realize that God wants me to handle my finances in a responsible way, but that to lend, the Bible does talk about the way with which we lend inside the kingdom of God versus the way outside. Leviticus 25, 37 says this, you shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. Now let me just talk about this. First of all, we live in a culture, the United States, it's no secret, is not, the United States of America is no theocracy. And there are plenty of people in our culture who do not love the Lord, they love acquiring wealth, and so they pound on the interest. How many of you, when you got that teaser rate of 0% interest for six months, and then all of a sudden, 17% following, right? The devil is in the details on those, on those teaser rates, right? And then all of a sudden you're paying more interest and it's compounding greater. The Bible talks about how God set the conditions for lending and he says don't take somebody who's in need of food and take advantage of them and loan to them under those conditions and hey, it would be good if you don't loan at interest. And in fact, this is the beautiful thing of the Jewish culture. How many of you have a 30-year mortgage? Raise your hand. 15-year mortgage. Every single debt every seven years was completely canceled. Listen, now this is the kingdom of God. It's not in the United States of America, so sorry about that. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 15, verses one through four. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact of his, uh, exacted of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever is yours uh, is with your brother, you shall 
release them. Isn't it amazing? There was no such thing as a 30-year mortgage or a 15-year mortgage. It was seven years and people were released. And here's the thing is, is people were not foolish. Yeah, oh man, some of us are like, yeah, you know what I'd do? I'd totally rack up all the credit cards right on the six and a half year and boom, freedom. Well, people were wise enough to say, well, you know what? I'm gonna lose on that, but I'm not gonna burn you on this. I'm gonna give this to you without interest and do it. Do you know the new trend of house buying in the United States, especially in the Northeast is right now, is families are loaning their children down payments to get into a home because they're so ridiculously overpriced, right? Sorry, my heart just fluttered over that. They're so ridiculously overpriced. We looked at the other day, and my wife and I were looking in Chelmsford. We're not looking for homes. We're always looking for people that we love in our community who are needing a house, but there isn't anything under $500,000 in that town, condos included. That's crazy. The market's got to give here. But coming back to what we're talking about here and talking about paying back, uh, talking about um, borrowing, God wants us to lend to others and he set up the structure for it. But not only that, this is important for us to know is that we are required to pay back what we borrow. This is a moral issue. Now let me, before I go any further with this, let me say something else. When you are in a culture that can charge you 17% interest or you have a business and things fall apart, there is a reason why the United States has created a system for foreclosure. There are certain circumstances where no matter what you do, no matter how much you try, no matter how hard, there's no recovering from that. It is not sin for you to foreclose, to claim bankruptcy under certain conditions. But if the motive is so that you just don't have to pay what you rightfully have taken, I think that's, that's the measure for, for our character. But there are plenty of people I know and love that are godly people and in a business that they were sideswiped with a situation and an interest rate just changed in conditions. And there's some situations you just can't get out. And apart from a miracle, God has to intervene. But I think the core premise for this is, is that God says, listen, what you borrow, pay it back. And in fact, the verse that we heard during our uh, service was, uh, was this one, the wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous uh, is generous and gives. It is moral for us to pay back what we borrow, which means that it is our responsibility to make sure that we do not borrow more than we can pay back. And this is where covetousness and Satan wreaks havoc. He baits us. You'll be happy if you get this. You'll be happier if you get that. And I've realized there are times in my life where I have reached beyond my means. I've reached beyond my means. And I'm like, man, I need to get rid of that. I need to sell that. I need to, I need to do that. But here's the thing is, is that even as a pastor, even as a Christian, just being real and honest with all of you, there are times in my life where I look at situations and I'm like, man, I just have to have that. I'll be happier, you know? And just, I gotta have that Dunkin' Donuts. And my wife and I, she's been sending me off with uh, Folgers Instant in a Contigo mug. You know, I'm getting ready to go. And she's like, hey, before you go, you know, let me give you a coffee because she knows what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go up and I know Jill, the Dunkin' Donuts girl, and Jim, the guy who makes the sandwiches. Like, we're on a first-name basis, right? And, and, and I just have to have that Dunks. But if you do the math on that, it's six cents for a cup of Folgers Instant. It's like 60 bucks for a Starbucks coffee, right? 
So you wanna reduce your means, just do that. But, but here's the thing is, is that I, usually when I get myself into trouble with debt, a lot of times it's because I'm trying to purchase happiness or pleasure. And I go beyond my means. I've done it. You've probably done that too. And what God is saying to us is, hey, you know what? The wicked borrows and don't, has no intention of paying back, but the righteous is generous and gives. That's what the godly person is noted for. Romans chapter 13, verses seven and eight says, pay to all what is owed. To him then, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I'm gonna walk past the speaker's sound crew up there, if you could give them. I'm gonna walk past the speaker so I don't wanna spike it off. But here's something real quick. I'm gonna actually do something real Jesus-like here. Real quick, nobody here comes. Good, it didn't do it. <laughs> right now, I want somebody to reach in their pocket and hold up a coin, if you've got one. Can you do it? Penny, quarter. I'm not gonna make you the center of my illustration. I'm not gonna do anything other than just borrow the money that you, there we are. Holla for a dollar. Here we go. We have here a nickel. Who's on the nickel? Anyone know? Jefferson is correct. What do we got there? Thank you. Mr. Edwards. Appreciate that. We've got a quarter. Who's on the quarter? Oh, sweetheart, thank you. We've got a penny. Who's on the penny? If their image is on the coin, then it probably belongs to them, doesn't it? I mean, the government, right? So Jesus is in the courts of the temple and somebody comes up to him and says, hey, is it lawful to pay taxes, right? Do I really have to pay taxes? I mean, like God's my God and heaven's eternal and like, should I, should I not pay taxes? Like I should give you the quarter, huh? Yeah, but I'll give you the penny back. And, and, and he, he said, uh, no, no, he, he, of course. He asked the question, Jesus says this, whose image is on the coin? And he says, Caesar's. And he says this, the first part isn't what catches me. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, just recently, there was a, a, a mess up with the deduction, thank you, for my taxes, and we went most of a year without having any tax taken out. We switched payroll companies, and all of a sudden, I got a bill from the IRS. Hey, congratulations. It's like a monopoly bill, right? Like, pay $15,000 in taxes. We got hit with a $15,000 tax, tax bill. I was like, what? And I was like, man, I missed it. I can't believe I wasn't paying attention on those levels. That was just irresponsible of me, it really was. And so, you know what I did? I called up the IRS, I said, I gotta set up a payment plan, and I did it. Now Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Listen, I am grateful for the nation that I live in, and it's the, the, one of the greatest nations in the world, I believe the greatest nation. But then Jesus turns around and he says this, says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but then he says this, give to God what is God's. There's a Jewish quote from literature at the time of Jesus, and it says this, it says, all kings stamp their image upon coins, but the Holy One, blessed be he, has stamped his image upon all mankind from Adam to the present day. Which means that while a coin has the stamp of Caesar, God has put a stamp on us. Which means that Jeremiah said it like this, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It sobers me when I pause and I'm smart enough to remind myself that I will give an account to God for everything I not only said, but I did, but how I managed what was entrusted to me.
You see, you and I are not the owners. We're the image-stamped stewards of all that we have and all that we are, our time, our talents, and even our treasure. And God says it like this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God. Give him your life, give him your love, give him your loyalty, give him your holiness, your commitment, your time, and your treasure. Honor God, God says it like this, honor the Lord with the first fruits. It wasn't like we're gonna invest this and let it get money and then we're gonna give, it was that the Lord said, as soon as you take a sweep off the harvest, the first tenth goes directly to the temple. And from that, they were able to do good all throughout the kingdom and all throughout the world. But God calls us to pay back what we owe. And that's hard. So the question would be this. Thank you very much, Pastor Paul, for giving me paper cuts and putting lemon juice in it. Thank you very much for making me feel, uh, bringing my attention here, how much it costs for me to pay back my debt. Thank you very much for making me feel bad about all these financial things. Remember, God talked more about about finances than heaven and hell. If the Lord talks about it, we're gonna talk about it. And then he goes, and, and here's, so here's, here's what I wanna do is talk about a couple of very quick practical steps to help you get out of debt and stay out of debt. How many of you wanna get out of debt? I do. Uh, debt free in 2023, that's gonna be our new household model. And if God talked about it, we're gonna talk about it. So here we go. First thing is this, you need to get an extreme attitude towards debt. In other words, you need to get extreme that it is going to hunt you and it is going to kill you. I love how Dave Ramsey does this. He does it with a video clip and I found one similar to it. I want you to picture wildlife in the Serengeti Plains and you are that little cute jump buck and out of nowhere comes this. Give that volume, brother. Where's the volume? Isn't he so beautiful? Uh, run, Forrest, run. It's getting close. Here it comes. Yes! The junior high boy in me wants to see it the bloodier the better. So close. Hey, he got away. I love how Dave Ramsey does this when he talks about this, but he's like, this is basically you've got one response when it comes to your debt. You know what it is? Run! Run for your life! Run! You have to develop an extreme attitude towards debt that you don't walk away from it. You need to run away from it. Anybody, anybody with me on this? You're tracking me. You need to run away from it. When you're running away from it, please don't run away from God in the process and say, well, you know what? I gotta get my debt taken care of first, so therefore, you know, sorry, God, we're, we're not gonna be able to honor you with, with, with what we have, so we're gonna just apply it to debt here. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Second thing you need to do is this. You need to create a budget and stick to it. We gave every single one of you when you walked in one of these quick starter budgets, but uh, if you look up on Dave Ramsey's uh, website, they've got tons and tons and tons of resources that you need to go through. For the past couple of weeks, I've been writing down, believe it or not, honey, writing down in a spreadsheet all of the different things that we have, that we pay for, that we, that we owe, that we own, and I'm putting down there and saying, how can I get it cheaper? How can I, how much do I need to live? 
and how much do I need um, to take care of business? And so I'll do all that. Second thing that you need to do, uh, and this is really important to understand that a budget is not just a collection of numbers, it's an expression of your values and aspirations. The wallet is a window to the soul, much more than the eyes are, really is. But then you need to go and do what we call the debt snowball system. It's great, here's what you need to do in simple, the same way that a snowball builds momentum for the negative, do it for the positive. Write down every single debt that you have. This is, most people don't even do this. Write down every single debt that you have, how much goes to that debt every month, and then what you do is, is you attack the smallest first, and then the money that you are paying each month to that small one, now you double down on the next one, and you double down on the next one, and sooner or later, it might take you 15 years, it might take you five years, it might take you five weeks in some cases here, whatever it is, different strokes for different folks, you do that and you'll get yourself out of debt. You really will using that system, and then here's the important one, live below your means. You hear me talking about like the Dunkin' Donuts issue, but it's real, it's, it's true. It's, it really makes a difference. Lastly, and so importantly, as your pastor, if I could say this to you, love God, not money. Don't let it be your God. Don't think that if you stack up enough that that's gonna make, keep you safe, that that's gonna make you happy. Don't try to fill that hole of eternity inside of you with temporal stuff. Honor God, honor God. Dave Ramsey, when he was younger, he, he had $6 million of worth and then he gave his life to Christ and then his world crashed and he was worth nothing and then now he's worth millions and millions of dollars. That's not the path for every one of us, but here's the thing that, that he said is that that guy that was speaking about finances, he said the sixth thing that he told him, five things he said you do and you will be successful in business, he said the sixth one is critical and that's this, is, is make sure that, that you honor God because all of the rest will not work long term in your life if you don't have God being honored with what he's given you. If it won't work. It'll work temporarily, but it won't work long term. I remember my son Andrew had some candy that I gave him, some juji fruits, he had a box, and he was like, thank you, daddy, and he opened them up, and I said, hey, Drew, can I have one? And he was like, imagine how God feels when he says to you, every good and perfect gift has come from me, and I've blessed you so much. And then he says, hey, could you honor me with some of that? And you're just like, I was like, you miserable little kid. You'd have no juji fruits. I'm gonna take them and eat them. I, I was gonna get a whole box and just eat them in front of them. Mmm, you want one? Psych. <laughs> but I think it really makes a great point. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll love one and hate the other or cling to one and despise the other. You can hold on to both of them at the same time, but it just doesn't work. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen. Finances are a tool, not a toy. And all of these principles and all the principles of business and success are worthless unless you're honoring God at the center of it. Because God can do for you miraculously what you don't do for yourself. And I want you to hear this story from Pastor Dylan as we close here very briefly. And we're gonna sing a song as we go too. But Dylan, we got a, a, the two minute testimony crunch here. But you sure. just, you gotta hear this. You gotta hear this. You're gonna just be excited for him and say, and listen, if God can do it for him, he can do it for you.
God can do it for him. He can do it for you. One last statement. God will not pay off your debt. You have to control and manage it as a good steward. But sometimes when we're honoring him, he says, I will honor those who honor me. And he does things for us we could never do for ourselves. Listen to this. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Pastor Dylan, if you don't know me. Um, so I, uh, just a little backstory. Some of you know my story, some of you don't. Uh, I'm, I haven't always been a Christian. Um, and I can remember early on in my Christian walk, I was about 19, I was doing the David Ramsey approach. I was cashing my checks and putting all the different cash in envelopes and making sure I knew how much I had left and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I had all my money on me on a Sunday morning in my cash envelopes. And uh, it, was a, it was a mission Sunday. It's kind of like what we do every October here. We do like a missions month where we support missionaries all around the world and missionaries here doing different works in the United States. And I felt the Lord impressed on my heart. Dylan, I want you as a down payment to give all of that to missions right now. And I'm like, but I have bills. Like, I can't do that. So I, you know what? Me and God argued back and forth for a couple of minutes. And then finally, I was like, fine. And I threw it all in. And uh, since that day, I've just made a practice of uh, tithing and giving to missions. And I'm not saying this to secure a blessing to you. I'm just showing you what happens when, when I think you follow God's commands in your life. Um, so I went through college. I felt called to ministry. I went to North Point Bible College. Uh, but there's a price tag that comes with, with education. And I was in uh, $80,000 of debt, uh, which was about $915 a month that I was paying in student loan payments. Um, and there was no way for me to get out of this. I felt that the Lord had called me to missions. I knew this, but there was, I, I did what I had to do. My parents were blue collar working. They didn't know that I took loans and it was, it was hard. And very recently, a missionary put me in touch with one of their supporters, said, I know that you want this, Dylan. I know you can't get there by yourself. So I told my story to them. They're like, Dylan, here's $10,000. We wanna pay off some of your private loans. Here's $40,000 more. We want you to pay off all the rest of your private loans at 0% interest. You can pay that back to us. They wiped out $50,000 that had 9.25% interest on it. I was drowning in debt, paying $350 a month just to interest. And I really believe it's because even when I was working two jobs and working at this church and going to school full time, when I was doing that and eating rice and beans and ramen and doing whatever I had to do, that in my spirit was Philippians chapter four. that said, I don't care if I'm in want or in plenty, I'm content with God. And really my life verse has been Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you do this, all these other things will be added to you. And this, this, this debt, by the way, hasn't been like it was years ago. It got paid off in the last two weeks. God will do it. And it, it, was, it was two years. Thank you. It was two years of me struggling through, but believing God that he meant what he said that if I don't put my debt first, I put him first and I do whatever I have to do to meet my obligations, that he'll do the rest. Because God's grace and his mercy abounds to those who fear him. And it'll abound to you if you follow his ways.
really well. So, thank you. I know what you're thinking. Well, he's a pastor. Of course, God's going to do that for him. No, God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for him, he could do it for you. Well, I made my bed. I need to sleep in it. Jesus is the kind of God that looks at you and says, really? Pick up your bed, rise, and walk. You might be saying, I just don't make that much. You know what? Then all the more why we need to get working on this. Some of you in here, you've been facing financial trouble and you had a, a debt trajectory, debt-free in 2018, and you're still in that same crazy cycle. You know why? Because you got all five of the first principles right, and the other one you just never did right. Honoring God. Honoring God. I'm telling you, what God did for that young man, God said, I will honor those who honor me. I'm so proud to serve with a team of people that love God and use finances and do not use finances and use God. I'm telling you, all of those principles have to be at work in your life. You can do this. It's not going to happen easy. It's not going to happen quick. But who wants to run through life like this? That's not what God intended for you. He has good things for you. And some of you right in this room, you are terrified with the current financial situation you're in. And I believe God has an invitation for you. If you'll trust in me and you will put him first, this is God talking to you. If you will trust me and you will put me first, not only will you have peace in the midst of it, but you'll have victory and change in your life. It may take longer for some of us than others, but God's spoken more about this topic than anyone else. Church, I'm just saying it straight up with you as your pastor. It's time for you to stop using God and it's time for you to start honoring him. Unless you wanna just go in circles. You can do that, you have that choice. I only have as much authority over your life as you give me. But I know this, some of you, the real hindrance to this is you're terrified because you're saying, I can't, I don't know how, I don't know. I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again. God works it out. When you honor Him, He works out these things. If you'll apply these principles, and we're going to sing this song as we close here, and we're going to say to the storm, and we're going to allow Jesus to be in the boat. It doesn't mean that the waves won't rise, but God says to us, peace be still. I believe the Lord says to some of you here this morning that you're terrified of your financial situation. The Lord say, fear not. Trust me. He's the God that walks on water. Amen. You may be drowning in debt, but God, in the years to come here, if you will honor him and you will work and do your part to live below your means, to pay off your debt, to create a budget and to do what you can do, God's going to do for you what you can't and you are going to walk on water and you're going to look back and say, I don't know how, I don't know why, all I know is my God. Calm the storm. Amen. God bless you as we sing this song and going.